let's say there's someone who's 90 listening today. You go, well, I don't like all those spiritual songs. Oh, yeah? You ever heard of Into My Heart? Into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Joseph Stanley here with Rooted 2-7, a podcast ministry of Red House Baptist Church. And we have Shama Lord on behind the camera, and he uh, handles our editing and recording and all that kind of stuff to make it so that you can uh, listen to this uh, today. And we do thank you for listening. Uh, in case you're wondering what Rooted 2-7 stands for, or this is your first time listening, we kind of base it on Colossians 2-7, uh, which speaks of us becoming more rooted in Christ so that we can build our lives upon Him. So our goal is for you to learn how to flourish as Christians, and uh, that happens through a, a variety of different ways. Sometimes we might share a particular passage of Scripture, or we might uh, interview a different guests at different times and learn more about their testimony and, and how Christ has worked in their lives and uh, how that transformation has taken place and how they're being used for the glory of God. And uh, I pray it'll be a blessing uh, to you today because I'm glad to have uh, Terry Martin join us uh, for an interview and we're going to learn more about him. Uh, in case you haven't been to church recently or you've been watching online, you've probably noticed that we have a new pianist that's been here, what, six months or so, or a little longer than that? Something, something like that. And uh, that's Terry Martin. That's who this is. So we're going to learn more about him in case you're watching online and you haven't been to the services to actually speak with him or meet him. Uh, so thank you for joining us today, uh, Terry. Certainly, certainly. My pleasure to be here where I'm doing a little something else besides playing the piano. <laughs> yeah, something yeah. different here at the church. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, are you? How long have you been here in Kentucky or around the area? We've been here about three years, actually. Moved from the Chicago area to come down. My son-in-law took a job in Lexington, and we liked the area. We loved the area, and so we came down. So that is, that is a case in point right there. So you're uh, obviously a good musician and a good – you play the piano, you sing, and you do all that type of thing. Take us a little bit back to uh, – to uh, tell us some more about your testimony, actually, when you become a Christian and, and a little bit of your background. Well, it, it involves itself uh, just about the time when people are in school. Um, raised a Southern Baptist and uh, accepted Christ as a Savior, as the Savior, um, when I was 11 at a revival. And that's all just fine and dandy. Uh, the Lord came into my life, but for the next years of my high school years, there were really not much evidence to show that I would be a believer. And uh, this is a problem with any right that we might choose to do. It's pretty easy for anybody to walk an aisle at an invitation. It's easy for every baby, you're a liturgist, every baby can get their head wet. You know, you can go through all the motions but it's between the Lord and your heart that makes the difference. Now, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't present in my life telling me, stop that, no, 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 as we went along. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't just my moral conscience. That was what the Lord was. It was the he, grace of God. He, yeah. The grace of God, absolutely. 
you could not have told, told any, you couldn't tell any difference between uh, myself and my rock and roll buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no real difference. I, I didn't, I, I, you know, we all have our ideas of what we think right scruples are, but everybody takes pride in that. In fact, people who sit around in the bar sipping on whiskey are always telling how they have morally done something very superior. But it carried me that status of, of not knowing. See, if we get into the whole issue of eternal security mm-hmm. or infernal insecurity, whichever of the two you'd like, we, we believers know that he has us. He chose us. We did not choose him, and he never quits choosing us. So what does that mean? That means that he has a hold of us. But in that process... If we live a life of sin, there's one thing that we do not have, and that is an assurance of our salvation. Mm-hmm. You see, I, I, in fact, I had a pastor friend said, I would have no qualms if I saw you at a bar drinking on your fourth drink with some strange lady on your sh- shoulder uh, telling you, you are on your way to hell. Go, but I'm a church member. I accepted Christ in an invitation. But your life is speaking louder than words. How can you say you're a There's believer? There's no evidence to give There's you no that assurance. There's no evidence, which means you, are, you can't have an assurance. And that assurance is what I have and you have that is so important. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be told that something that happened before my knowledge, oh, yeah, you were, you were taken care of as a young child uh, because your parents decided that they would set you apart. Well, that's fine. But if your life doesn't show it... Once truly saved, once always saved, and truly getting underlined. So anyway, I uh, carried on with my life. I went to France to study piano uh, with a real exclusive old teacher who, for those of you who uh, know music, uh, he, he studied with Gabriel Fauré, who was a real famous French composer, real famous world composer. He knew Ravel. He had met Debussy when he was young. So this was quite an opportunity. He was an old, old man, probably just a few years older than me, an old, <laughs> old man at, at this time. And so I was, for the first time, first place I ever lived away from home was Paris, France. Never where, was lived you, away where did you grow up? I grew was, up in St. Louis. St. Louis, okay. In St. Louis, yes. And I even stayed and went to college. I lost my father when I was 15. Oh, wow. So I stayed home, you know, living mm-hmm. with my mother and my sister. Um, but... What ended up happening is that for the first time, I was truly isolated from everything that was normal. And God used that time. He, I, I probably stooped to the lowest depths of my sin until finally, when I got back to the United States after being gone a year, I finally heard the truth about Jesus, you see. Jesus, you see, wasn't who we hear about in the church, this person told me. This person told me, Jesus is the most highly reincarnated spirit. Oh, that's really beautiful. Why didn't I ever hear about that by Baptist church? Because it wasn't true. That's why you didn't hear about it. So I I thought this all sounded really good. So I took my college friends, and I went over for them to have a seance with this spiritual guide. Oh, this spiritual guide was such a holy woman. There were statues in her home of Mary and crosses all everywhere. And her husband, they were from England, <coughs> walked, her husband walked the United States in the shape of the cross. I thought, boy, that's pretty holy, you know, that's just holy. And everything you would imagine to say, oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So <coughs> all of my friends, 
that went to this, they all went, uh, uh, and they were not believers. Uh, this is, oh, I, and she said, oh, <clears throat> you know, Jesus said that uh, you would be persecuted if you believe the truth. I said, oh, I see. And an unbelieving girl in that group said, I, want a, I got a book that I think maybe you should read. I said, well, sure, I'll look at anything, you know. And it was a book called The Challenging Counterfeit about Christian spiritualism. So I, I, I was a smart college student. I skipped classes that day. Was that smart? I, I don't know, but <laughs> I did. And I took this book into the college library, and I, I started reading it. And I couldn't put it down. It was about a musician who suddenly had an appearance by a highly glowing entity. Who The guy was hired by police detectives to find lost items because the spirits that communicated with him uh, would, would show him where mm -hmm. lost people were and such things. The guy one day went by a church. He had, been, he had been confounded by a similar guy who said, they're demons that are doing this to us. They're not, they're not angels. He was ready, just like I was at that time, to refute this. But he was told, always stay away from these Bible thumpers. Stay away from those places. He went right into this Bible-believing church. And the pastor, guess what the pastor is speaking on that night? Christian spiritualism. He went home. He was confounded. And the spiritual guide that had done all of these things appeared to him in his room, took control of his own hands, and wrapped them around the guy's throat. <laughs> Keep in mind, I'm in the college library. You're reading, reading this. this. <laughs> and then he goes on after he gives his testimony, how that he, he was completely plagued with this whole thing until finally the Lord allowed him to gain victory, and he could release it all. Then he went on to start talking about the lies involved with this stuff that I was in entertaining in my mind. So I kind of went on the college shelf, and I pulled the Bible off the shelf. I wouldn't have one with me. I was a Christian, right? I, I, <laughs> Christians don't need Bible, right? I had right? no assurance of my salvation. I didn't even, didn't even question it. So Every time that he pointed how that we're not supposed to have communication with, with spirits, I read the scripture and said, well, there it is right there in the script. I, the more I looked up the passages, the more I was convicted. I was devastated. I had all my buddies from college listening to this stuff that all rejected it except for this one unbelieving friend who gave me this book. The girl wasn't even a believer and she gives me this Christian book. Okay? She's seen something wrong. That's right. I went home. And who's on TV that night but Billy Graham? Really? And what is he talking about at his crusade? I just sit on the floor. My mother's there. I'm just watching, you know. He's talking about this, the depths of perversion that will happen in the last days. I couldn't stand it any longer. I got up. I went right into my room. I faced a blank wall, and I repented. Wow. And... Everything was fine, except the Lord said, uh, I thank you for repenting as you should, but I think you have about eight or nine people you're going to have to go and tell the truth to that you sent them the wrong way. So I had to go to each person and tell them I, what I told you was wrong. But they, guess what? They really hated the truth. So you had to take a humble action to go tell them you was wrong. That's but then right. And they was even more That's rejecting right. of, That's like, right. okay, you was wrong once, and now they think you're wrong again. Right. Yeah. So that that uh, is what has carried me through 
yeah. uh, the, the, the many, many years as the Lord has carried me through, never letting me forget how close and how easy it was without the strength of the assurance of my faith in him. Which is, you know, let's say someone, you're not a believer and you're listening to this. You think, oh, they put themselves, these Christians put themselves in a state of mind that let them think that all this stuff's going on. No, I have to tell you, it's absolutely true. Not because I said it, but because he wrote it. Black and white, ink and pen, Mm -hmm. you see, is how the scriptures get relayed to us. You think, well, the Bible, isn't it just a bunch of opinions? No. If you would look at all of the copies globally of the scriptures, compare that to the copies of Aristotle. Or compare that to the copies of uh, Mein Kampf of, of Adolf Hitler. The Bible is like 15, 20, 30 times more copies, hundreds and thousands of copies more. Mm-hmm. And what the scripture says have led mankind ever since they've been written from the Jewish community to finally the born again Jews who read about Christ in the scripture. The biggest, I know there's a lot of evidence, but it's changed lives. So when we, when we apply what's, what's there, Right. And, and it, changed, it changed lives for the positive, and not just because it's inspirational, but because it is holy writ. Mm-hmm. That's W-R-I-T, writ. Holy things that God had the prophets. It says in First Peter, they, don't, they, didn't, they didn't know why they were writing these things. They just knew that they were writing them for us. The scriptures in the New Testament and the Old Testament were written for us to understand the gospel. Changed my life. When I was in my in school for my master's degree, it had this big, ugly red button that I wore, and it was bright red with orange letters that said, Jesus changed my life, and I wore it all the time. What was the, reactions? Oh, the professors were worried. There was a big discussion because in my big master's piano recital, which you have to give, I asked them to put soli deo gloria, which means to God alone <laughs> be the glory. glory. Yeah. Can, he put that, can he put that on his recital list of this pieces for the program, for this concert? They finally reluctantly said, okay. What about uh, music? When did you start um, being I, involved with music? Is that something at a really young age? Or how did that get, I, come about? I, I knew that I was going to be a musician by 12. And I pursued serious piano music, but I also pursued serious rock and roll. Really? To the point that uh, my group did concerts with the Grateful Dead. My group did concerts with the Jefferson Airplane, which became the Jefferson Star, Steppenwolf. At that time, uh, apologies, but Steppenwolf was not a very good band at that time, and we got much better applause than they did. So we were in the heat of a, of a, of a time uh, back in the old psychedelic days. It was interesting. My band looked like the typical... Uh, a psychedelic band, but nobody did drugs in the band, which really was kind of interesting. <laughs> Unusual for that time. Right. Uh, so, but then once you become a Christian, how, when did you oh, start yes. playing in church and, and like being... Well, I had, I had played in church uh, uh-huh. all during those... Uh, unassured days in high school. Oh, we got a good church boy here, and he'd play the piano and he knew the hymns. Well, of course, that's where I learned the hymns. Right. Uh, would, would play. And, and so, I, you know, you, you're brought up in a believing church. You're going to learn the music, particularly if you're a musician. And so to this day, I can recall all the hymns from, from those days. Okay, being raised in, right. raised in that and hearing it every week, so right. it sticks with you. Uh, now, you, you worked at a Moody... Uh, yeah, I was on the, the worship team uh, in the orchestra. How was that? In, 
Uh, Moody Church was a great church. Um, it's a big church. And I remember I went there for a conference when I was a worship pastor at another church, and they had cleared the platform, and that uh, was fine. And uh, But in the hallway, I was going to one of the—you know, I always have classes mm -hmm. at, at conferences— there was the big, old, gigantic pulpit of D.L. Moody. Really? And that really touched me. You know, I, I was standing right there. I, I you know, was right. Anybody could touch it. It was just moved off of the side of the platform, meaning it was not a holy item, uh -huh. but it was sure used for holy purposes to preach the word. That church can house over 3,000 people. It was built that way. A big, big brick building. So they always, they saw about 2,000 people every Sunday. And I played piano, played guitar, played a lot of electric guitar for, for them, um, and uh, played pipe organ as well. I ask you a question. Sometimes, I mean, as Christians, we're so accustomed to coming to church and singing and listening to music. But what do you think? I think music is a gift God's given to us because it's something that's pleasing to our ears if it's played right, obviously. Yeah. But how, how does that music bring glory to God, in a sense? How does that worship, that feel? Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And I, I'm going to answer that question by going a strange route. I was once asked to play music at a Unitarian church. Now, that was a difficult opportunity, a situation, because I was doing concerts with a flutist who went to this Unitarian church. That's how that came up. Mm -hmm. I said, I will play for you at your church if I also will be allowed to speak and say something. So that's worked out. I was allowed to give my testimony and glory to God. Uh, but to the point of view of the people who don't know about the Lord, music seems to be an elevating experience. Mm -hmm. And they see music as just being something that makes you think higher than yourself. I remember I had a, we used to have a pagan a choir director in college, and we'd sing these wonderful works about God. He would raise his head, but I... He was, he was just trying to experience something elevated. It's like this awe. So and, yeah. in that sense, you, you know, I'd always like to say I'm a believer first and a musician second, mm -hmm. which I think is an important thing to do. Um, uh, Sham and I both know a lot of people who are musicians first and happen to be in a church doing music. We also know people who were not musicians or not believers who became believers, but that's not very often. That's not very, right. So in, in that sense... All those experiences, I, I used to always conceal whenever I would speak that I had all those experiences with the Grateful Dead. You know, I, I didn't, but the t times have changed. Now I'm asked to talk about that. How different? Is that a healthy thing? I'm not quite sure. But, <laughs> but after 15, 16, almost 70 years of rock and roll, the church, of course, is hearing that as normalcy as you grow up in those things. Right. And, and whereas uh, older Christians are threatened by the rebellion and the adolescence that's so much part of contemporary music, nonetheless, Christ is, is honored. And people over that period of time, we've all been reared on pop music. Mm -hmm. It's the stranger person who loves classical music now. Yeah. Because I mean, that's all that's played is pop. I mean, I don't know where well, I, I yeah. play both. You know, yeah. I'm studying hard classical music. I mean, enough you know, get scholarships for college and that sort of thing. But I was never afraid of playing pop music. Uh -huh. And guess who ends up using pop music in my life? The Lord Jesus Christ. 
where do I learn all these styles from? from all, whoever would th think at the time, I thought, well, I am a classical musician. I was a college professor for 20 years, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and we're talking about serious classical music college stuff, which I love. And I love classical music. It's my first love in terms of music. But the Lord has took what was in my sinful past, music that was not giving him glory, and he caused it to come into the church. I've been playing contemporary Christian music in my churches since the 70s. Wow. That's way before a lot of people would So think. God could take your experiences that you're like, okay, that was your past. You know, you're playing the rock bands. Like, you want to steer clear of that. But then God can use those talents and abilities and experiences. And then you use them in the church. Still, God exactly. still working the all things for his glory. That's right. Even when we don't really say, well, how is God going to do that? He has a plan even right. for your life. Or yeah. we would say he would never use it. Never that. do that, exactly. Yeah, but it, but it wasn't the case. Yeah, that's true. And uh, my first church where I got really involved was an independent church. And this happened after I had repented from all this stuff. I had already accepted a scholarship for getting my master's degree. Oh, no, Lord, did I blow it? Oh, no, I've accepted this scholarship. I don't care about any of that stuff. I care about serving you now. So there was a coffee house in the Strip in the college town where I lived. And we know what the Strip is. That's where all the bars are and everything else. They had a, a ministry in there. And I went, oh, boy, I'm desperate. i got to find out where there's a church where people are on fire for Jesus. And I went in, the guy who's behind the coffee counter, I said, I'm looking for a church that's really on fire for the Lord. He goes, praise the Lord, brother, you found it. Care for a cup of coffee? Then so... In that church, the church was so had such young pastors, of which some were born-again Jews. Very interesting. We didn't care about singing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And we didn't care about whether it was, it was coming out as contemporary or youthful. What seemed to have a good Christian message was what we did. Mm -hmm. So that was really quite joyful. Yeah, I always think, I mean, I've been part of, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, very uh, charismatic. Okay. Uh-huh. And then prior to this church, I went to an independent Baptist that was very uh, conservative in their music style, you know, just hymns only, piano, organ, that's it. But I've come to realize uh, as long as the lyrics is bringing glory to God and, and the way it's being played and the people who are, are who are the musicians are also, you know, bringing glory to God and that is their goal, essentially if it's contemporary or if it's owed with just a piano and a you know, the guy doing the hymns, you know, and carrying the, the tune. Uh -huh. Either way is bringing glory to God. So a good mixture, I think, is, is beneficial. Absolutely. You know, think about the music that was going on in Israel, in Greece, and in Rome. You know that they never had harmony? Mm -hmm. in, for those whole millennia of time, they never had harmony. They just sang melody. We would listen to their music and go, oh, that is not ministering to me. But it certainly did to them as they sang them in the catacombs, mm -hmm. you know. Music can change and alter in culture. My greatest concern is when our culture is diluting the lyrics. Mm -hmm. I think our biggest crime that's been committed that's come from, well, let me put it this way. Paul exhorts us to worship the Lord, communicate with the Lord with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we have... Hymns that dominated for centuries. In fact, Isaac Watts, who's a great hymn writer, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, you know, mm -hmm. he was in church with his uh, father when he was a young boy, and they only sang psalms. 
period. They sang psalms. And the young boy says to his father, Dad, why, why do we, how come the only thing we sing are psalms? And his father didn't appreciate it. He said, look, you write something better and we'll think about it. He did 6,000 hymns later, Isaac Watts revolutionizes uh-huh. all of the worship music in the church. And I should have to say something about Isaac Watts. He, he was a pastor as well. After writing all those hymns, leading a flock, doing all the necessary, when he got old, he had a nervous breakdown. He lost it. He'd had all kinds of troubles. Guess what his congregation did to him? They doubled his salary really? and gave him a residence so that he could heal. Wow. What a congregation. Oh, we, we, don't, we don't do that. What most congregations do is they kill the pastors. They run them out. <laughs> College professors, administrations kill the pastors. They work them till they can't do another thing. And music directors, same thing. They would you know no qualms, you know, music. Uh, music is just a, what comes before the sermon in some pastors' views. Mm-hmm. It's not it. it. Guess who's going to be out of job in heaven? Pastors. <laughs> Pastors are out of job in heaven, not the musicians. It's all worship. Yeah. Right, it's all worship. So, so you have those circumstances. And so what the contemporary church has done, more does it comes from what's an issue called pietism, Bach did the same thing, is getting over-personal and over-sentimental in your words. I mean, it's all right. And I guess I was going to say with the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, so we went from all psalms to all hymns. Okay, well, there's a third element that has not been touched, which is the spiritual song, which for the past 70 years has been going on and on and on. And let's say there's someone who's 90 listening today. Well, I don't like all those spiritual songs. Oh, yeah? You ever heard of, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today. Come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. That's it. That was a spiritual song. Spiritual song, yeah. That's a spiritual song. And very few of them even have gotten into the hymnals. But the point is, is there was a lacking. There was a bit of nutrition. You know, we know what good food is, Mm -hmm. and if you're minus an element. So now the church has swung much, much more so toward the spiritual song. And that was what we were malnutritioned in. Well, it's our job to make sure that we're... Are there new modern hymns? Absolutely. Written in a pop style? Yes, that's what the Gettys do. Mm -hmm. But the one issue that has to be taken care of, and I would exhort every Christian leader to realize, is that I have to glorify God in in my texts. More than glorifying my experience, I was a, you know, certain songs could be sung to a love relationship as much as they could be sung in a church. Yeah, that's true. Lord, I went away, I was far from you, and you beckoned and I came, and I said I'm sorry and hold my hand forever. It's like a that, love song. Love yeah. song. It's just a love song. <laughs> uh, where there, And we have to realize there, the, the Baptist hymnal is full of them. Mm-hmm. It's our our job to pick the best things that are there. And filter what what matches the Bible most and what we feel like is going right. to bring now, glory to God. Right. There, there's this issue called hermeneutics, which is where you let the Scripture interpret the yeah. Scripture. And a lot of people know Herman. He's a good guy, <laughs> Mr. Nudix. You know hermeneutics. You have to use a hermeneutic. 
The scripture says all kinds of things that talk about your personal relationship with God to the point of Jesus on the cross. Why have you forsaken me, Lord? And David crying out his heart. Well, if we are not balanced and balance that with what we're going to be doing in heaven, which is all glory to God, we're not going to be thinking about ourselves Mm -hmm. in heaven. We're going to have our eyes on the one who we can't see now. We would die if we saw him. Yeah, that's pretty true because now we think about our experience when we're in church. Right. We're thinking about, well, you know, we're praising God, but also does the music sound good to us? What do we think about it? When heaven, it's not about us. And that's, if we want heaven on earth, we need to remove the focus off our own selves. And I know a couple weeks ago we had a, uh, Dr. Danny Davis, he's our associational uh, mission strategist on, and he said in church, we need to remember there's an audience of one. That's right. It's not, you know, the people in the congregation, it's not the preachers, not the musicians, it's God. And who, you know, is he being pleased with all that's going on and all that's being said, all that's being sung uh, by the worshipers? Uh, do you have any closing thoughts as we're about to wrap things up? Um, other than uh, we, we need to be encouraged to seek his care attributes as we sing. Mm-hmm. We need to seek scriptural evidence for what's going on. And even in our own lives, you know, we're not going to be hurt by glorifying the Lord. We're not going to, that's not, that's not going to hurt our testimony. That'll only advance it. We must see ourselves, like Jesus talked about John the Baptist, see ourselves diminished that he can be raised up and glorified. Yeah, I don't think anyone ever gets to the end of their life or gets to heaven and says, man, I, didn't, I wish I didn't worship God then. Or, <laughs> man, I wish I didn't bring glory to God. Did that wasted time? I think it's always uh, something good right. and something positive we should be glad about. Well, we appreciate you coming on today. Sure. We sure did learn a lot, and we'll good. have you on again sometime because I really enjoyed it all right, being good. on here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you all for watching today. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about our church or watch one of our worship services where uh, Mr. Uh, Terry is playing the piano and singing some, go to our website, redhousebc.com. You can also connect with us on YouTube or Facebook uh, by searching for our name in the, in the uh, search bar. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thanks again for watching. You can connect with us via our website at redhousebc.com or connect with us on social media by searching for Rooted27. Or you can also subscribe by searching D House Media RHBC on YouTube. Subscribe now.